Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Walling, and this is the podcast that we ship every week, and we have since 2010. That's more than 11 years. This is a podcast about building real businesses for real customers who pay us real money. And while we're doing that, we're seeking freedom, purpose, and relationships. That's what Startups for the Rest of Us is all about. It's a lens through which we view startups. Thanks so much for joining me again today. Really interesting conversation today with the author of a book. And as you know, I don't have many authors on this podcast. It's not a big, you know, interview a guest about the next big concept or whatever. But this guest, his name is Jim Callback. He wrote a book on jobs to be done. And if you haven't heard of jobs to be done, or you've heard too much about it, and you feel like, you know, I roll, I don't want to learn more about it. I think this interview might change your mind. I would give it a chance because we dig into some super practical points. Specifically, what if I'm pre-product or pre-idea? How can I interview people, ask questions, and figure out problems that are worth solving? Or what if I'm at 3K, 5K, 30K a month, and I'm kind of plateauing? I don't know where the product should go next. I don't know what features to build next. You can do these things called switch interviews, which are in the jobs to be done parlance. And we dig into those. And then we actually at the end do a role play. Jim did a great job. He totally humored me where I talked about a recent switch decision that we had made with MicroConf switching from one software to the other. And normally these interviews are 30 to 60 minutes where you dig, dig way, way deep. And we spend about five minutes doing it. But I think it's a great example if you haven't been exposed to jobs to be done of the things that that you can learn from these frameworks. I mean, I think if you're a founder and you're like me, you tend to roll your eyes at frameworks, at things that come out of Harvard Business Review. Not that they're not legitimate, not that they're not real, but just that they often don't keep small startups in mind, right? They expect that you're a middle manager at Procter and Campbell and you're getting your team on board and your budget is only $10 million this year. So many business books I, I can't deal with because of that. And that's what Jim was able to avoid is he was able to talk to us, the single founder, the bootstrap, the mostly bootstrapped SaaS companies. And I do have one announcement to make but I'm going to keep you in suspense. Next Tuesday morning's episode is going to have an announcement that I am really excited about. It's probably the biggest announcement that we've made since launching Tiny Seed three years ago. So stay tuned. It'll come up in your feed as usual. The next episode will have information on that. And with that, let's dive into my conversation about finding the right problems to solve, whether you're pre-product or whether you're plateauing and you're just trying to figure out where to head next. Jim Callback. Thanks for joining me on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. So I got a Twitter tip. On Twitter, someone mentioned you, they at mentioned you, and they said, you have this amazing book. It's called The Jobs to Be Done Playbook, Align Your Markets, Organization, and Strategy Around Customer Needs. Basically said, and I forgot who it is, I'm going to have to go back and look later, maybe I'll link them up in the show notes, but he said, uh, you should really interview one start for the rest of us. So I appreciate you taking the time to come out. Yeah, love the topic. Happy to uh, share my insight and thoughts on jobs to be done. Awesome. And so I think the first thing I want to I want to ask, I guess, like, can you loosely define what jobs to be done is and in a way that, you know, is practical for early stage startup founders? Sure, sure. I characterize jobs to be done as a, a framework, a set of techniques around innovation and it allows you to talk about the problems that people are trying to solve, people that you care about in your target market, without talking first about solutions, products, or brands. Ultimately, it's really about product market fit, but looking at it from the market standpoint. Very often when we talk about product market fit, you create a product and then hold it up to the market and say, do you like this? 
and they say no. And then you build measure learning, do that again, right? What Jobs to be Done does is says, no, no, we can actually understand market needs by looking at the market in and of itself and work back towards the product. It dovetails with lean techniques, but what it theoretically what it helps you do is predict adoption, which is the same thing as product market fit, is that as an innovator, as a startup, I want to have some sense maybe not specifically, but at least directionally, where should I be pointing? Where should I be aiming at? And Jobs to be Done gives you a language and techniques to help point your business in the right direction to the problems that you should solve that are going to have the biggest impact in the market. So what's interesting is Jobs to be Done has been quite popular in the startups of the rest of us, microconf circles of bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped SaaS founders. Typically, every microconf we host, we have at least one speaker who mentions jobs to be done, whether it's the focus of the talk or whether it's just an offhand like, oh, and then we did these jobs to be done interviews and we found out this, right? So it's, I think, I think it's, it's permeated our group, our community in a good way. I still think there are a lot of folks who haven't experienced it or haven't experienced the magic of it, I'll say. I did jobs to, uh, some jobs to be done interviews, probably not correctly, about five or six years ago with a software product. And then more recently, we did some with MicroConf, which you know is the community and, and events that uh, we throw. We did those about two years ago. So I'm a believer in them. And I know folks like Asia Aranjo with Demand Maven does them. I know that Claire Swellentrop with Forget the Funnel. That you know, I mean, like if you're listening to this as a founder and you're thinking, you know, why, why should I consider doing this? It's like really smart people whom I trust their judgment on finding these things are using them, right? These are tools. So I think with with that kind of couched, when I think of jobs to be done, like there's a lot of terminology of like hiring and, you know, there's, there's words, there's phrases that are used in certain ways. Without the phrases or the jargon or the, I don't know, the words that it uses, are we trying to find what problem a customer is trying to solve and how they're trying to solve it irrespective of my offering is no that that, that's it that's how i actually describe it and i call that i call that jobs thinking that jobs to be done brings a way of seeing things to the table instead of looking at the people that you serve through the lens of your own solution whether it's real or imagined you're seeing them in a certain way you're seeing them as possible consumers of your solution and that clouds your judgment by taking yourself and your offering out of the equation you actually potentially there's no guarantee of this, but you can actually find opportunities that you wouldn't see otherwise. So instead of looking at them as, hey, these could be consumers of my products or users or adopters of my solution, you're looking at them as free-willed, goal-seeking um, you know, actors in the world trying to solve a problem. And I have very often, I'm glad you use that phrase, because I use as a synonym for job to be done are problems to be solved. What's the problem that you're trying to solve? Yeah, and to piggyback on that, I mean, something out of your book, I read through the book, and you have, I want to quote you here, you say, jobs are stable over time, even as technology changes. The jobs people are trying to get done are not only solution agnostic, but they also don't change with technology advancements. Correct. So I describe jobs to be done as a language or jobs to be done techniques come with a language for describing the problems that people are trying to solve independent of any solution, product or technology. What that does is it gives longevity to that view of the people you're trying to serve because you're not describing what they're trying to get done in terms of today's technology. So if you take a very high level job like listening to music, 
right? A hundred years ago, people used to crank up a phonograph and listen to music. And then we had, you know, record players and eight tracks and tapes and, and then CDs and then Spotify. And in the future, we're going to have, I don't know, VR listening rooms or a chip implanted in our brain. I don't know what the technology is going to be. But from a jobs to be done standpoint, there are stable aspects of listening to music. If that's the domain we're interested in, listening to music is listening to music is listening to music. So by removing technology and solutions, from your language, you actually help future-proof your thinking. Got it. And I mean, I think of another example, like there's a tiny C company called Builder Prime, which is CRM software for home improvement contractors. And if I go back to 1985, I bet their CRM software, their solution was paper. And then I bet by 95, it was an Excel spreadsheet, maybe an email or something. And then I bet by 2005, maybe if they're lucky, it's a Google sheet because now it's in the cloud. And then by 2015, 2020, some percentage of those folks have now adopted Builder Prime and other software like it. Is that, am I following a similar path? That's absolutely correct. In fact, one of the one of the test questions that, that I teach students and talk about is to ask yourself, what did they do 10 years ago? What did they do 20 years ago? What did they do 30 years ago? When you're operationalizing the jobs to be done language and you need to formulate it in a way, every statement, every step in your job map or whatever technique you're using, you need to formulate it in a way so that it would be true when people did that, you know, CRM with spreadsheets and and Rolodexes, right? Because the, the step is a, is a fundamentally the same. Record uh, contact information, for instance. You don't say click a button and create a record in the database because that's that's what they did today when they were using Rolodex they recorded the client information right so you would write it very generically like that again that helps future proof your thinking because again we might have some AR solution or AI solution but guess what you're going to record the client information right that's part of CRM so if you record things in a way that expunges explicitly expunges technology from your language you're you're building this longevity into your thinking yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way in terms of the language actually being being different. Yeah, it really does feel like, I mean, something I've said on this podcast many times is that, you know, the precursor to a lot of SaaS is, is a Google Sheet or an Excel spreadsheet. Like anywhere you see that, that often winds up becoming a SaaS, you know, in a vertical or horizontal. And I, I'm linking that to jobs to be done as we're talking. It's like, of course, because that spreadsheet is doing a job and that job could, might be better done by a more complex or more focused piece of software. Correct. And that's what jobs to be done tries to do in advance of, of, of having a product or a solution on the market is tries to find that problem that's going to be most important for people to solve, right? So yeah, they were using a Google spreadsheet, but what problem were they trying to solve? If I can describe that independent of that Google spreadsheet, I, it, it flips my perspective and I start seeing opportunities from a different light. And then you say, oh, so if I'm going to create a software, I need to solve that problem. So it, it's a way of being solution agnostic to open up the doors for new opportunities. You, you literally see things in a different light. There, again, there's no guarantees in the jobs to be done language, but it helps you find opportunities that you might have otherwise overlooked. Because if you are talking about your own software, even, even a brand, I mean, a startup, you're, you're even starting to think about brand and price point or business models, right? Sometimes that clouds the conversation. You know, there's red herrings in the room, right? You know, what, but how, who's going to pay for this? Or well, how are we going to brand this and stuff like that? It's like, no, that, that doesn't matter right now. Just what problem are we trying to solve, right? Let, let's understand that. And let's really, really understand that problem at a deep level before we, we, we layer on our own solution. I think for, for our conversations purposes, I'd love to dig into maybe two 
kind of stages that a startup founder might be at. One is pre-product. I'll say even pre-solution, you know, where someone says, I want to serve this, you know, vertical. Maybe I want to build software for designers or developers. You know, we can just pick a vertical. Maybe it's maybe it's home improvement contractors, whatever. And then kind of have you walk me through a thought process and maybe even some questions that you might ask, like how would a startup founder who is seeking problems to solve, in essence, how might they go about it? And then the second stage is what are called switch interviews, which I read about in your book, and I, I've read about them elsewhere, which is where you have a product. Sometimes it's early stage, but it can be much later stage too, right? You could be a big a company into it, right? Or Salesforce, but you can also be a startup founder who has a product doing three grand, five grand a month, you've plateaued, and you have enough customers that you can dig in, like, why did you switch to me? And I have a couple friends who've, who've done switch interviews and, and learned a ton about it, and actually it, it changed the direction of the product, right? It changed the features and such that they wanted to build. So those are the two things I want to, you know, dig in with you today to get pretty practical nuts and bolts. So to start with the pre-product or pre-idea, I know you do workshops on this. You've written a whole book, like what would you advise a founder to do? Or what would you do if you were thinking to yourself, like I'm a developer, I want to build a SaaS product. How do you start? Well, the first thing I would do would be to scope the, the domain in which I want to innovate. And I think there are two fundamental questions there. The first is, who do you want to innovate for? And the other one is, where do you want to innovate? Or what's the problem area that you want to solve for? And both of those come with multiple answers. So the, on the first one, the who, what I recommend people do is think about the domain that you're interested in and just list all of the actors and the stakeholders that are involved. So you have a stakeholder map and ask yourself, who's going to be the ultimate consumer of, my, of the value that I create, right? and try to hone in on a who. There might be multiple, but you want to kind of focus yourself. Job Speed Done comes with a lot of focus and decisions. So it's a decision, it's just a strategic decision. Who are you going to innovate for? And the same on the problem space side. So if you're looking at, I don't know, CRM or tax or whatever domain you're in, there's lots of problems that people are trying to solve. List them all out and try to get it down to three, maybe just one. We're going to try to solve that problem so that you have a who and you have a what. That scopes your innovation domain. Now what I can do with jobs to be done, as I describe in the book, is I can build up a model or build up an understanding of that problem for that person, right? How do I understand that job that they're trying to get done in the context in which they're trying to get it done? And I can do something called, for instance, create a job map. That's a play that I have in my playbook. So the playbook is a collection of techniques. But one of the first best things I think you can do after you decide the who and the what is create a job map. A job map is a simple series of steps that talks about the, what's, the, what's the fundamental process of getting that job done. Might be listening to music. We just talked about that. Or, or you know, managing contacts in a, in a CRM. You wouldn't say the word CRM, but managing contacts. You can understand that as having a beginning, middle, and end. How do people get started solving that problem? What's the middle, what's the end? And Job Speed on gives you a language and the techniques to actually map that out. Now you have an artifact you can bring back to your team and say, where are we going to play? Let's put our finger on that, that moment where the rubber hits the road for us. And you can get even more specific there. That's just an example of how you would from without a product on the market, how you would use jobs to be done to kind of work your way into what's our opportunity. Got it. Yeah, I like that focusing for sure of saying who and what. Well, a few examples spring to mind, but let's dive into one. There's a tiny C company called Summit. It's usesummit.com. And in essence, it's it's forecasting software for startups. I think it works really well for SaaS, but I think any startup, especially those who, well, bootstrapped or funded, but it, it allows you to kind of build pretty complicated models, 
easily, to easily build these models that can forecast out and say, when do I have budget to hire a developer? What happens if I run ads and it gives us this return? What is the cash flow? You know, all that stuff, right? You can imagine the precursor to this is absolutely Excel. There's just no doubt about it because there isn't another tool that does it like this. And, and the founder, Matt Wensing, has been working on it. He's now on the second or third version of it because he built it, people used it. And, you know, I don't know if they, they hit the edges of it. And then he said, okay, well, we need to rework it. We need to rework it. But it's obvious, like kind of in your parlance that he figured out early on, he wanted to cater to startup founders, CEOs, maybe CFOs, if, if they're at the level that they have that. And the what is what forecasting or it's like financial? Yeah, I was thinking about that actually as you were talking because jobs to be done is a language and the words that you use really, really matter. And sometimes sometimes it takes a while, like semantically, literally visiting a thesaurus. Like what's a third? It's something around forecasting. Planning though is the first word that can't like plan. Uh, I'm not sure what they're actually planning. Plan a product rollout, plan a company. I'm not quite sure what they're planning, but it would some be some, the job would be somewhere around planning or forecasting. Yeah. And then I would say the who is the, is, uh, is an entrepreneur actually is I can just describe it generically. So generically entrepreneurs are trying to plan out their company or plan out their business. Right. And I can take those things and then dive deeper into each of those things. Right. It's funny that you said planning because I haven't looked at his homepage in a couple months. I just pulled it up and his H1 is build trust in your plans. Express your financial operations on a flexible canvas. So it sounds there, like, there you, yeah, go. It sounds like yeah. Yeah, you, you got there fast. And one of the things when I work with companies, I'll go out to their website because through the jobs to be done lens, I can kind of see through the gloss of their marketing and like, oh, oh there's a job word. That's a nice job word. And I look for verbs. I look for verbs, right? So plan and uh, uh, what, what did they write on? They, they build. build, right? There might you might start the job, to, the main job, as a, with the word build. I'd have to play around with it. What we would do is we would try out a couple of different versions, kind of scope it. Like where, where's our center of gravity, and then what's the best language to describe that? But it'd be something around entrepreneurs, and then the, the main job would be something around build a business. Got it. And so if we rolled the, you know, the calendar back, let's say two or three years when Matt, maybe before he'd even written a line of code and, and he was trying to do some jobs to be done interviews to figure out, I, I know the who and the what is we've just described them. So he knows 20 startup founders, right? Easy. Go to microconf. You can, you can talk to 20 startup founders in, in two and a half days, right? What types of questions, like what are some questions that he would have asked and what is the, there's obviously a thread. I mean, I'm an interviewer. I know that you, there's a story, there's a thread you follow. So what, what, you know, practically, what does this look like? There are three things that I would be looking for, three types of things. One would be around process. So I'd be asking questions like, how did you get started? What did you do before that? What do you do after that? I would want to uncover that process because one of the things that I would want to do is create a job map, which would show building a business or however we define that target job. I would want to show that as a sequence of steps. And by the way, the steps are not tasks. They're more like uh, sub goals. Like what are the goals in the process there? The other thing that I'm looking for are what are the outcomes that people are looking for? These, these CEOs that you mentioned, the entrepreneurs. So I would wanna understand their pain points. What do they struggle with? Uh, what's the hardest thing for them to get done? These are types of questions that I would ask them. The third thing, so steps in the process, the outcomes that they're looking for, and then the third thing I'd be looking for are the circumstances, as I call them. Under what conditions is this easier and harder? Or under what conditions does getting the job done change for you? 
right? So when it's a, a tech a business versus manufacturing, when you have a little bit of money versus a lot of money, uh, you know, there might be certain circumstances that in the factors, I call them also that influence how the job are getting is getting done. So the interviews are open interviews, but you would be you'd be probing along those three lines. What, what is, what's the process? What are the outcomes they're seeking? And what are the circumstances that matter? Got it. Okay, that's a real good framework. That's in your book, isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, that is the Jobs to Be Done Playbook, Align Your Markets, Organizations, and Strategy. It's Jim Callback, if you want to find that on Amazon. Okay, so I like that. And, you know, I can imagine how... I've never done Jobs to Be Done interviews before having a product or idea, to be honest. You know, you're basically saying you, you're pulling out a problem. I've always said, not always, but for about the past 15 years of doing startups, like, if, you don't, if you're not solving a problem for a business, you probably shouldn't build a SaaS company. Like, that's kind of become the mantra, right? So I, I've always believed in solving problems, but have never gone about it, you know, finding them in this way, which I think is really interesting. Obviously, it can save a lot of time. As you said, you don't have to build an MVP, I mean, eventually you do because you have to test it out, but you can at least, this is kind of your customer development slash it's your research, almost market research in a sense. I think it's, it's customer development and it's about product market fit, but looking at the market independent of the product, which you still might have to go into a couple MVPs and cycles, but theoretically what jobs to be done does is it gets you closer from the start. So you're going to have fewer cycles in, of your MVP testing and things like that because you've already constrained the direction that you're heading at. In other words, which part of the problem are you addressing? You've already gotten closer there than you might have had if you just thrown a dart at the board. Right. So now let's, let's switch it up. That was the kind of pre-product, pre-idea. But then there's these switch interviews, which is, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. So another tiny seed company, it's, they're called ChurnKey. They're at churnkey.co. And what they are, their H1 is personalized cancel flows for a healthier subscription business. So you can imagine they target SaaS companies and probably subscription box, you know, loot crate type companies. And, you know, widget appears when you click, I want to cancel my SaaS account. And then there's different flows you can build, right? Of like, oh, do you want a discount? Do you want to pause? Do you, why are you can't, you know, whatever, right? It, it's just a super configurable thing. And, you know, as I said, they're a tiny seed company, so they, they have traction, but they're not, you know, a kajillion dollar company yet. They're on their way there. So they have enough customers. Let's say that I'm making up numbers. Let's say they have a hundred customers right now and they want to find out what direction they should take their product, right? Or what's working and what's not. Is that what switch interviews would be for? Uh, yeah, that's actually a really good place to use switch interviews because you have a market that you're serving, granted small, but there are people that have switched over to your solution. Even if that, even if the solution was paper-based or Excel-based before, it doesn't have to be a direct competitor. In other words, there's a switch that happened and they said, okay, we're going to try this solution. What you can then do is take those people and reverse engineer their experience to coming to your solution to try to uncover that fundamental job that they were trying to get done independent of your product brand or solution, right? And what Jobs to be Done does then is says, okay, great, you're using our product and, you're, and you have an, a current experience with our product. Uh, what brought you to our product? And it works backwards in a series of moments. There's a first moment or first thought. That's actually the last thought because you're working backwards, right, before they came to you. But then you want to you go abstract back further. Okay, well, what were you trying to do that led you to that thought? Right. Okay. I'm trying to prevent churn. Okay. What we trying? And then you try to go back to what they call the first thought. So you're reverse engineering their experience coming to your solution to try to get back to that problem 
what's the problem in and of itself, independent of, of, of coming to your solution? Because you're not trying to understand the customer journey. You don't want to understand their awareness and purchase decision of your solution. You want to know what they were trying to solve, and the switch interview gives you a technique to do that. Once I know that fundamental job, then I can start understanding the problem in and of itself. Got it. So let's say with Turnkey, you know, I did 10 or 20 interviews and I found out the job is that they would want, you know, the customer wants fewer people to churn, right? That they want to save more accounts or whatever. Do I take that and and figure out what features to build or do I then do another round of interviews? I would actually then, so you reverse engineered, I would forward engineer, I know that's not a word, but I would then use some jobs to be done techniques to say, okay, what's the process of doing that thing? And use some of the techniques that we talked about in my previous answer around what's a job map or what are the biggest pain points there? Have that conversation independent of your solution. Again, because you don't want to cloud your bias by, oh, we tried that already, or that's going to be hard to implement, you know, and all these things that are kind of innovation killers, right? You want to really understand that. So I reverse engineer with Switch and then forward engineer before you get to, okay, what is the solution going to be to think about that problem independent of your solution for a moment. You're always going to come back. Here's the thing about jobs to be done. You're always going to talk about your brand and your solution and your product. That's not not going to happen in your organization. What jobs to be done says is let's temporarily suspend our own bias of the world and think about the problem independently. Right. So it's a moment in time. Right. You're obviously you're going to think about how you're going to go to market and what you're going to build. But it's a moment in time. Again, what the theory says is that you can see things from a different way and spot opportunities that you might have otherwise overlooked. Okay, so I'd, what I'd love to do is a quick, uh, like almost a role play, just a couple minutes of a switch interview. And I want to use a decision that me and, and my team had to make in the past few months. And what we were looking for was a, mar- a simple, inexpensive marketing dashboard. That ba- all, it, all we want to see is how many YouTube subscribers MicroConf has, how many Twitter followers it has, you know, not only today, but like a graph of that. How many people are in MicroConf Connect, which is our Slack channel? How many people are in our drip email account, right? It's just basic marketing things. Nothing. How many website visitors, that kind of stuff. So we were on a previous solution called Dasharoo and they shut down. They basically were just like, peace out. And so then I, you know, I went to Google and I started looking and, and settled on a solution. And I'm not 100% sure we're going to use them, but we at least have loaded our stuff in and we're kind of trying it out. And it's called Dash This. So anyways, you know, let's say I guess at Dash this or, or, you know, you're trying to figure out why, why I switched. Like, what would you walk me through? Sure. So again, uh, since there is a solution at hand, what I would do is talk about you, your role and your current experience with the product. So Rob, t- tell me about the current experience that you're having with, with this new product. Yeah. So, you know, Dash this does seem to do what we need it to do. It has the dashboards. It's the right price point. I think a lot of dashboards that I've looked at are like 200 bucks a month or more. And it's just not worth that much to us. You know, it's not that important because we have a Google sheet right now and that does a, it frankly does a good enough job. But I think Dash, this is whatever it is, 30 or 50 a month. And that's, that's totally reasonable. So, so the Dash, this, let's talk about that compared to that Google sheet. What does that do that the Google sheet can't do? Yeah, that's a good question. So Dash This pulls the numbers automatically. Like you, uh, you know, you OAuth into your YouTube account and Twitter account or whatever, and it will pull them out versus the Google Sheet. Most of that is a manual process that someone on my team does a couple times a week. In addition, Dash This, the, it's just like a more configurable dashboard, you know, you can, and the, da- the graphs look nice. Google Sheet graphs are not, not the best. So what's the problem with that person on your team doing, updating the Google Sheet a couple times a week? 
just feels inefficient and it's just grunt work. It's work that should be automated. It feels to me like, you know? Okay. So, so tell me a little bit more then about the auto automation. So you're, it sounds like you're saving time. Is there anything else that the automation does for you? Yeah. It's that it, number one, it saves time. Number two, it should be, you know, 99.9% .9 accurate all the time. Like unless there's a bug, it's accurate versus someone can mistype, miscopy, paste. Like I think there's errors that could potentially come up and it's updated like, you know, with the Google sheet, it's once a week or twice a week. Dash this will be updated in real time all the time. Right. So, so how does that, how does that make you feel then when you're looking at the automated dashboard? More confident. Right. More confident knowing that it's up to date and I don't have to worry about, we, why is there an anomaly here, right? That there's a copy paste error or something. Right. So it sounds like there's almost a trust or a, or a confidence issue there too. Is there something also about it being updated that provides more insight than you might not have otherwise gained? I'm not sure. Are you seeing things in a different way? Are you spotting more details in it? Are you spotting details in a different way? Well, I mean, what's interesting is the graphs are larger. And so I can actually see trends better and I can zoom in different. Like again, Google Sheet graphs are limited in functionality, right? Versus Dash, this has more clickability and configurable zooming in and all that. So do I do think there's an advantage to that visually. So it sounds like if we can maybe just kind of wrap this up, what I would do as a researcher, I would kind of come back and start retracing those steps. So we started with a product that you had to, had to get, but then I started to compare that actually with the Google spreadsheet and we got to confidence and automation. And then the last topic you were talking about is an ability to pinpoint things quicker as well too. So I would, I would start uncovering that and through multiple interviews, right? If I talk to the next person and they say, yeah, I have more confidence and the next person more confidence, right? We're working back towards, it's actually a confidence problem that you're trying to solve, right? And now, okay, now let's, let's understand that independent of any solution, right? And, and forward engineer from that, from that standpoint. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for, for doing that with me. Um, I, think, I think that'll be really helpful for folks. No worries. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much for joining me. If folks want to follow you on Twitter, you're Jim Callback. It's K-A-L-B-A-C-H. And, you know, as I've mentioned a couple times, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever greater books are sold, the Jobs to be Done playbook align your markets, organizations, and strategy around customer needs. And Jim, is there anything else you'd like folks to check out? Yeah, sure. We have this great online resource called the Jobs to be Done Toolkit. It's jtbdtoolkit.com. We have some online video courses, also live training. We do a free webinar every month. And then there's a library of resources. We have some free downloads there as well, too. Thanks again, Jim. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me again this week. If we're not linked up on Twitter, I'm at Rob Walling. Let's connect. And as a reminder, next week's episode is going to have a, a fun announcement that I'm quite excited about. So I hope you'll tune into that. We'll be back in your ears again next Tuesday morning.